is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 176 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I have not one, but two guests. I'm joined by Christina Stanley and Lucy Cook. And today, we are going to be talking all about editing and how to be successful with your edits, whether you are an editor or an editor. <laughs> I completely made that up. <laughs> what I mean is whether you are editing or an editor yourself. But first to last week's question, which was, how do you procrastinate? Ian Worrell said, by watching movies. And Eden Collier said, I've been really struggling with the difference between procrastination and thinking time and rest. I suppose I know that I'm procrastinating when I'm writing something that I know won't influence the story or the world I'm currently writing in. But then you say that and I'd say QTP that, thank you Becca for the phrase, because um, what if that is allowing you the intellection time or the space that you need in order to generate uh, new thoughts or ideas for your story plot? I think it's a really difficult question, um, but one that I think we can only feel our way through uh, and in order to know when it feels like we're procrastinating versus when we're actually just exhausted and need some time. So this week's question is, if you could have dinner with someone inspirational, whether they're dead or alive, who would it be? And if you really fancy it, you can tell me who you'd invite to a dinner party. The book recommendation of the week this week is Red, White and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. Oh my goodness me. So I listened to this on audio and usually it takes me about a week, I would say, to get through uh, like maybe an eight hour audio book. Um, and if it's longer, obviously it takes me longer to get through it. I got through this book in like 48 hours. <laughs> I could not put it down. I could not stop listening. It was incredible. It was so funny, so quirky. Um, it's basically a story about uh, a prince called Henry, which felt a bit too close to, to home. Uh, so Prince Henry of England and uh, the first son, in America, so the president's son, and they fall in love. And it was just fantastic. There is a little bit of politics, but like there's politics for the US side and kind of the royal monarchy. And like, it was really, really well done and really detailed and funny and swoony. And oh, I just loved it. And I think everybody should read it because it really, I think you can tell, like it just made me smile the whole way through. I really, really, really loved it. It was such a good binge read. So as I record this, it is Wednesday the 2nd of February and my new book, A Game of Hearts and Heights, under my new pen name Ruby Row, comes out a week tomorrow. So as this airs, it will be two days before launch. So if you have pre-ordered, you can submit your pre-order proof to rubypreorder at gmail.com and you can be entered in to win a signed annotated hardback, a um, chance coin, fake coin that's in the book uh, itself, a bunch of like bookish goodies. You can get a sneak peek, you can get all kinds of stuff if you uh, submit your pre-order proof. So do that. And if if you haven't pre-ordered it, please, please, please do. It has broken all kinds of records. Um, I did not anticipate a response like this. I'm very, very, very excited to see what happens when it comes out. 
I think I'm also a little bit, this is my cat playing in the background. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to deal with that. <laughs> Because I haven't really ever had a book in Kindle Unlimited, I'm a little bit nervous, like it's done great with pre-orders and I'm kind of terrified that that will be it, <laughs> that nobody will read it in KU, but I know that's just nonsense. Uh, I've got lots of plans to continue the marketing. So I am very, very excited to see what this does and really hopeful that this is the start of, I don't know, just like maybe more stable income from fiction because obviously at the moment, most of my business is nonfiction. So yeah, I'm excited for that. Really excited to give you the bonus uh, podcast and blog kind of episode where I go into all of my lessons learned from starting a brand new pen name. And like that gives me energy pennies, that gives my learner energy pennies to like review what happened and how it went. Actually, it gives my competition pennies as well. But I have so many lessons that I have learned that I am buzzing to tell you all about and also the figures and the numbers because I think that's really important we often don't um, get to hear about people's numbers and figures or at least like we hear about the big numbers the people making you know six seven eight figures um, but this that's not what this launch is this launch is done really well but it's you know it's not gigantic and I want to share that with you I want to tell you um, what it's been like to start from scratch uh, with a brand new pen name which many of you listening do so yeah I'm super excited to share that with you if you like sapphic fiction or you would like to diversify your reading J uh, author so J A E hyphen fiction.com is and the link will be in the show notes is running a blind date with a sapphic book so if you would like to just try it and see what it's like or maybe you are queer or you like reading queer books then i highly recommend this she is running blind date so there are like three keywords uh, to describe the book and then you can click it and you'll find out what the book is and there are lots of competitions there are giveaways um sales on the books all kinds of stuff so she's running that uh this month for the whole month and there is a whole stack of books to have a look at so i will leave a link uh in the show notes for that in terms of work things other than the launch i was meant to write 100k in january and for a couple of reasons i didn't do that i reached around 50 i think um and here's the thing. So obviously I have been sick since before Christmas. I am still, I think you can hear, not 100%. Um, I'm very, getting a lot, lot better. Although I have to say, like up until today, I was feeling considerably better. And then I woke up and I was kind of full of snot and not sounding uh, 100% myself. I am considerably better than I was. Uh, that said, that did not help. The other thing that didn't help is that I ground to a halt about 30,000 words into the sequel of A Game of Hearts and Heists. And um, I, when I ground to a halt, I mean, I really crashed and burnt in the manuscript. And I have taken the decision to bin the 30K that I had. I know it's a drastic decision. I tried to fix it and two weeks puzzling and editing and trying to input and talking it out and going around and around in circles. And when you can write a book in three weeks, pausing to intellect for two weeks isn't really, uh, like it, it felt like a, a lifetime. You know, I could have finished the book in that time. So I did take the decision to ax 
the first 30k that I'd written. I'm going to salvage chapter one and a couple of scenes. And what I've done is I have gone back and simplified it. And I just, I'm so cross at myself because this is the lesson that I learned with the first series that I wrote. And the whole point <laughs> of this series was to keep it like not complicated, to stick to the trope and, uh, deliver what the market wants. And I'm really, really glad that I have learned this lesson now and <laughs> not later down in the series. So, um, or, or I learned this lesson, you know, early, I had only written 30K, uh, which is, which was about a week's worth of work for me. Um, and yeah, so basically I'm like annoyed, but also, uh, feel a lot of relief that I can just sack it off and start again. So that's what I'm doing. I spent part of yesterday outlining. I'm going to spend tomorrow finishing the outline. And then because I've got some presentations and I've got some other work going on, and then I'm going to Paris for a few days, I'm not going to start writing it until the 20th of February. So it will delay the launch for my, from my original plan, which was to get it out in May. Um, I mean, maybe I can still get it out by then. I don't know. Uh, but I have set the pre-order date for September and then I'm going to pull it forward, um, you know, as early as I possibly can. So yeah, I feel terrified. This is the first time I've ever had a pre-order up without a finished draft. I've never ever done that before. And it feels like, it feels like I'm being like a big grown up girl. Um, and yeah, I, all right, I'm taking the piss out of myself, but it does feel a bit scary, I'll be honest. Uh, I've never done this before. And it feels like a real vote of trust in myself to believe that I can get it done. And I think that is what has stopped me before with pre-orders is that I didn't have the faith in myself that I could do it. And I think that now I know that I've got the plot right. Uh, I'm, funny enough, I kept saying to Chloe that I wasn't having fun. I wasn't having fun. There was something wrong. And it was because I wasn't having fun. And it was because I'd overcomplicated it. Now I've simplified it. I was like having fun just doing the outline. And I, so I'm super excited to get back to writing this because now it feels fun again. And I'm like excited to write it. And I, in a funny way, I'm almost more excited to write this one than I was to write the first book, which I, and you guys know how crazy excited I was about that book. So yeah, like this feels like it's a really valuable piece of information for me. It is a trigger, a warning sign that if I'm not having fun, I'm not, something is wrong. And like, I know that probably doesn't stand for everybody, but for me and for what I want to do going forward, that is definitely going to be a sign to me that uh, something's gone wrong in the writing process or with the plot or, or whatever. So yeah, now I am so excited to write this book and I'm actually kind of cross that I can't do it until the 20th of February, <laughs> which is a great sign, right? Um, so yeah, and oh, I've just... Oh, I'm just so excited to tell you guys everything and, and to do this lessons learned and all of that stuff. But anyway, enough talking about that. Um, what else? So one of the presentations that I'm doing is for our lovely guests today, Christina and Lucy. They are hosting Fictionaries at Very First Ever Conference. And I am going to be speaking at that conference all about how to improve your prose. 
So I will put some links in the show notes and if you join their um, Fictionary community, then you can uh, watch the conference for free. So I will leave all of that information in the show notes. The rebel of the week of this week is Lovis. Lovis says, a bit of backstory. Breaking rules gives me anxiety. <laughs> Aww, I've always been afraid of getting into trouble, but what I was more afraid of as a kid was disappointing my parents and not living up to their expectations. When I graduated from my marine zoology undergraduate degree, my parents wanted me to go straight into a master's while my partner and I really wanted to take a year to travel to Australia. My parents told me it was stupid to take a year out, that either I would never go back to academia because I'd get stuck in a rut somewhere, or when I got back to it, I would be irrelevant because I wouldn't be up to date on the marine conservation field. It took a lot of willpower and the support of my partner to do the opposite of what my parents wanted me to do for potentially the first time in my life and go to Australia. Especially when, fast forward a year, we accepted a job living in the Philippines running a whale shark research project, so the one year turned into two. But while we were working in the Philippines, we started a tagging program where we attached tags to sharks to be able to monitor their movements. When I got the tagging data, I taught myself how to code to be able to work with a sheer amount of data and realized that I really enjoyed coding. This discovery took me back to the UK to start a master's degree in ecological modeling. And I have just this year graduated from my PhD where I built, where I built a software program modeling animal movement in the marine environment, which will hopefully be used for sustainable fisheries management and protected area design. Sometime during my year out, my dad sent me an email that I had that I still have saved where he told me that I was right, that he saw what he, he thought was best for me and was not let me start that again. He told me that I was right, that he saw that what he thought was best for me was not necessarily what was actually best for me. And he was glad that I could teach him something, that I stood my ground and that he was proud of me for doing so. Still probably the most rebellious thing I did in my life and I don't regret a second of it. I saw beautiful places, met beautiful people and discovered my passion. And now I have a fucking doctorate. Yeah, you do. That is incredible. And also, I did not know all of this about you. This is incredible. What a fascinating career uh, you have and and what an amazing thing to be able to teach yourself coding. That is like fucking incredible. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. I love the rebellion. And if you would like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. You can email your rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome and a big thank you to Anna for joining my Patreon. And of course, a huge thank you to all of my existing patrons. You guys help to keep the show running and you make me feel like what I do is, is worth it and is helping. And I'm just extremely grateful for all of your support and the community that we have. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content, you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Okay, that is enough talking from me. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. I am crazy excited because we have a special episode with two guests today and a returning fave human of mine as well. So today we have Christina Stanley and Lucy Cook. Christina, combining her degree in computer mathematics with her success as a best-selling award-winning author and fiction editor, founded Fictionary and is the CEO. 
Fictionary helps writers and editors create better stories faster with software, an online community and training. Christina has also written a lot of fiction and nonfiction books and nonfiction. Uh, one title in particular is what we're going to be talking about today. Lucy Cook is Fictionary's business development manager. She is an FCSC story coach editor uh, and secrets to editing success is her first book oh I didn't know that oh I have extra questions now um she spends her time in the fictionary community during the day and at night she is a YA writer at home she has a 400 plus heritage apple tree orchard and two vintage tractors that is so cool and like very British I feel Um, hello and welcome to the show. Christina, welcome back. It's lovely to have you and to talk to you and to see you again. Um, so thank you both for joining us. Normally I will uh, would ask you how you got to where you are. Christina's obviously been on the show. So I'm going to ask Christina, uh, what have you been up to since the last episode, which was like donkeys years ago now? Um, and then Lucy, I'll ask about your journey. Yeah. So Sasha, fabulous question. I've met Lucy since I, the last podcast and we're here together. So I'm super excited about that. Um, you know, I've been working my heart out on Fictionary and the most exciting thing we've done since we last talked is we created a community and it's writers and editors and our value in the community is kindness. And it's a safe space for writers to ask professional editors real editing questions. And we're just about to hit a thousand members in that community. And we are training editors and Lucy's one of them and it's fictionary certified story coach editor. And so we as I well, maybe people don't know, but Sasha Black was the very first fictionary certified story coach editor in the world. Yes. And it is your course is incredible. And I have told many, many people to go and do it. Um, And yeah, yes. And and one of those people you told I hired and he now works full time for Fictionary. I yeah worked out rather well for me. (laughs) And then on top of running Fictionary, um what we're about talking about today is our book. And um so we're just about ready to launch our book and it's um Lucy and I have co-authored it, and this is my first time co-authoring a book, and so we can talk about that a little bit, but it, it was a really great and interesting experience. It's a nonfiction book, and I'm going to let Lucy talk about it a little bit, but um, it's kind of, I mean, I think it's a big deal in that it's my first co-author, and I'm really excited about that. So that's what I've been up to. Amazing. And Lucy, how did you get to where you are today in your writing journey? Um, so um, I was looking at uh, what to do with my first drafts. And I didn't know how to get anywhere with them. So um, I found um, the Fictionary Certified Editor course. And I thought, oh, that looks like the thing for me. And so in October 2021, um, I joined up and then passed it and then became an editor and then became a book of the year, a Fictionary Book of the Year award judge and then um, Christina asked me to be the business development manager. And then in there, um, I um, Christine also said, would you like to co-author a book? And I was like, yes, please. Let me just bite your hand off a little bit. Um, so that was very exciting. And um, it is the um, Secrets to Editing Success book. And it's all about how to um, unlock your first draft and make it into the most successful book it can be. 
And so what is the biggest, I know that I haven't even given you, prepared you for this question, but oh, this is how we roll. What is the the biggest lesson you've taken away from co-authoring? Like Lucy, especially because this, so when you say this is your first book, this is the first book getting to publication, but you've written. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so what, what was, how did it feel for you? What were the biggest differences like co-authoring versus the books that you've written on your own? Um, so um, in the co-authoring, um, Christine and I came up with a cunning plan, which was that um, every day we'd write down what we'd done on the book. And um, so on that, we um, were quite excited because each morning we'd wake up and then we'd be like, oh, that's a great idea. And then that would get us going for the day. So we managed to really be efficient and communicate very thoroughly together on our editing drafting diary. So each morning we'd wake up and go, oh, and that would be Oh, I love it. Let me just follow up on that because here's the thing. So I live in Canada. Lucy lives in England and our time time difference is five hours. And so I would get up and I think Lucy, we wrote like 45,000 words in that draft in the, in our diary, not in the draft, just our diary about the book and researching the book. And so having that five hour different gap, it meant that Lucy would get up first and then she would do all her stuff and it would be in the diary. And then I would get up and then I would do my piece. And then by the time, so that was done by the time she was ready to get up. And so we were just on this tag team role of go, 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 go. Um, and so I think without, and we did it in Notions. I love Notions. This is my new favorite software. Big plug for Notions there. I get nothing for that, but I really like them. And um, without having some technology there that we could write and chat, you know, you can add notes and you can comment to each other that, it was really an engaging and exciting way to write because we were just like this idea, let's research this, let's try this, let's write it this way. And and so the book changed immensely from the beginning of the process to the end. And I kind of think we should take that drafting diary and turn it into something, but I don't know what. Something about how to collaborate perhaps. <laughs> yeah, no, you like that. That sounds like another nonfiction book right there. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask Lucy then, before we start, I wondered if you could run us briefly through the different types of edits. What are the different types of editing? I think so many new writers still get very confused about all of the different types of editors that you can approach and the types of edits that you can have. So um, sort of two questions here. I wondered if you can give us some basic definitions. And secondly, in the book, you draw quite a clear line between revising and editing. So I wondered if you could also give us your um, definition, because I think with every craft book, the author always has their own definitions of certain terms. And so, so that listeners understand what we're talking about. Yeah. Tell us your definitions and terms. Okay. So story editors are um, after the first draft, then you go and look at the structure and you look at the very biggest structure, which is the whole story. And then you go slightly further down, you look at each scene. So you look at first the story arc scenes. So those are the big scenes in uh, the book. And then you go down and you go scene by scene. And when you're happy with all of the um, edits that you've done there, then you should revise, which we'll get to those definitions in a little bit. So that's the story edit and that's um, straight after a draft. And then after you've um, story edited and you've had some revision then you need to go in and copy edit. And this is um, sentence and paragraph level. So you're looking for clarity, you're looking for beauty in language, you're looking to make sure that the repetitions are there on purpose or you take them out. Um, and then you've got the proofread, which is down. And so it's like the big 
and then you get smaller and smaller and smaller again to the proofread, which is the word and punctuation points to make sure that the formatting is beautiful. And so the story, and so it goes from um, huge amounts of artistry and then there's more rules that keep on coming in and coming in that um, the readers will be expecting. So you're always thinking about it in all editing, how will the reader respond? And so um, they like to have a well-structured um, story, but they also like to have the copy and the writing to be beautiful. And then they also like to make sure that the punctuation and the formatting is clear and, and there's lots of clarity. So the difference between editing and revising, this is really, really lovely because um, editing is about making notes. It's about saying, this is the reaction that you get from this scene, this part of the story. And then revision is when you make those you um, changes into the actual copy of your text. And so if you edit and revise, edit and revise, edit and revise, and you keep on going back, you might have a sunk um, effect cost where sunk cost effect where you think, oh, well, I've made that really beautiful and the formatting is perfect. There's not an error there. But my story edit tells me that I should cut that whole scene. I don't want to because I've just worked really hard and I've invested loads of hours. So that's why we say go story, copy, proof, reading and um, edit first and revise. Yeah, I love that. And one of the things that you said gave me a bit of an epiphany as well, because um, you're like the, the further down you go, um, the more rules there are. And like the more intense the edit, the like the more the lower down the edit, the more I hate it, <laughs> which makes so much sense because I fucking hate rules. So that makes so much sense why I will never be able to prove a goddamn thing. I will always have to pay a proofer. But story edit, fucking love story edit, right? Because it's it's craft and artistry and like there are no rules. Well, there are kind of rules, but you know what I mean. And yeah, yeah I don't know. And I, I'm obsessed with prose. So I kind of like, like the copy edit, but I think that's because you can know the rules and break the rules. But by the time you get to proofing, you kind of have to stick to the rules. So um, yeah, unless, unless you're, um, you know, uh, Mike McCormack and writing a one sentence book, Solar Bones or whatever it's called. Um, okay, cool. Christina, what do you think are the biggest mistakes writers and editors make when approaching a book edit? Together, you mean? If you, are you asking how working together? Are you asking when you're like either a writer or an editor editing a book? So, in, so as a writer, what are the biggest mistakes? And as an editor, what do you think are the biggest mistakes? So as a writer, I think the biggest mistake we see um, in self-editing is not having a process. That doesn't matter how you got to your draft, you have to have some method of going through your book from beginning to end. And we see writers get stuck in a loop because they just keep rereading it and trying to fix it, trying to fix it without knowing what they're trying to fix. And it comes right back to, edit revise and so if you learn how to edit and have a process whatever your process is of course we like the fictionary process that's what we do but there's lots of ways that people can do it and so writers need to be at that point in the writing you have to be disciplined and organized you can't just pencil your way through and write a, or edit a book you can pencil your way through and write one absolutely but editing harder the thing we see with editors is they pick um, areas that they're strong on, they focus on. And so say they're really good at character development, they'll give a great story edit focusing on character development. 
but forget there's plot and setting and then the overall structure. And so we'll see with junior editors, they're too focused on, on one area that that doesn't help the writer do an overall really strong story edit. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a very, very good point. I never really thought about that. But there were, like when I was doing a lot of editing, there were definitely parts of edits that I didn't enjoy and definitely parts of editing that I did really enjoy. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a very good point. Okay, Lucy. I, well, first of all, let me just say, I had the pleasure of getting to read an advanced copy of your book. And it is one of, no, not one of, it is the most... Uh, detailed, comprehensive, instructional uh, book I have ever had the pleasure of reading. Like, never have I seen such a clear step-by-step guide to editing. So if you don't know how to edit and uh, you want help and kind of like a hand-holding guide to help you go from oh shit, I've finished a book, now what? Uh, to, hey, this book is ready to go to like a proofer, then uh, this is the this is the book for you. But one of the things that I really enjoyed in there was a method that you used called Mark. So I hope I'm pronouncing it right. I'm, I'm assuming I'm saying it right. So um, I wonder if you could explain what Marks is, how writers can, or even editors as well, can use it. Um, yeah, and kind of maybe give some examples of, of how it works. Um, so Marks are... Um acrostic and their move, um, add, revise, cut or split. So whenever you're looking at something and you've gone through your edit and say you've looked at your entry hook and it's not quite right. So you have to think back to your marks and go, do I move the entry to this scene to make the entry hook at the beginning? Or um, should I add some, uh, add a new entry hook or should I just revise the whole thing? Did I just put an R and then go for a revision? Um, should I cut and cut back or should I split? And that is um, splitting is more if you've got a, um, a location split, you might need to separate a scene into two. And so when you've got that, then you just put that. And so you've got a shorthand. It's more shorthand. Um, so, you know, you can come back and whatever you found out in your edit for your revision notes, you know that, oh, yes, now I can just go for that. So Lucy designed this system and here's the brilliance behind it. So it's five clear things. And as an editor, what, what we're training editors to do is you need to give specific and actionable advice. So the writer needs to be able to walk away and go, okay, you said this about my book. I know what I need to go do. And if the writer can't walk away with, I'm going to move the scene, I'm going to cut the scene. I'm going to revise the scene. I'm going to split the scene. I'm going to add stuff, right? I went through it in the wrong order, but um, those five things, when an editor is giving advice, we coach them, look at that. And can the writer walk away and go, I can do one of these five things. If they can't, the advice is vague and vague advice is not helpful to a writer. It's just giving them a bad feeling that they did something wrong. And we want our writers to be motivated and know how to do stuff. And it's much easier if you're critiqued or your work is critiqued, but you know what to do with it. You go, yes, I can go away and fix this. That's fantastic. If your work is critiqued and you go, oh, okay, what? I don't know what to do with that. It's disheartening for the writer. And so it's a really, really important concept for editors. And even if you're editing yourself, you need to tell yourself what to do. You can't just say, wow, I didn't like that scene I wrote. You, get, you still have to do something with it. And so I love that just the simplicity of what, how Lucy took all of these big things and just narrowed it down to five. These are the things you, these are your choices and it's gotta be one of them. 
Yeah, I love that. One of my uh, friends recently helped me to rephrase my to-do lists and it really reminds me of this uh, and basically what she said is that instead of writing um <laughs> uh deal with inbox she was like put an action by it uh respond to 10 emails or uh read all emails and file appropriately so that there is an action related to the task on your to-do list. And that like blew my fucking mind. I was like, hold on, hold on a minute. Wait, what? And the thing is, sometimes when you look at your to-do list, it can be so overwhelming because there isn't a defined uh, action that you should be taking. And so that's what I love about this methodology in your book is that it is so action oriented and actually helps the well writer in the end to take action and get through their edit quicker. So that's what I really loved about that. Um, before we dive too much more into the detail, I wondered a kind of a, a split question again. As a writer, full stop, as an editor, full stop, what are, what, how do you approach the edit? What should they do first? And I like, so I don't know if one of you wants to take as a writer and one of you wants to take as an editor. Sure, Lucy, you choose. You pick one and I'll do the other. <laughs> you, you go for writer and I'll go for editor. Okay, I'll do the writer. So as a writer, it's really, really hard to edit your own book. And sometimes we get back from people, you mean I have to look at every scene? And the answer is yes. Yes, you do. You can't to write your book and not edit and then revise every scene. It's just a painful fact. We all have to accept and just move on with it. Having said that, so as a writer, um, you know, there's there's lots of advice about put your book away for a, a couple of weeks, a month, whatever works for you. And that's extremely good advice. When I first heard that, I thought, oh, well, really? No, I don't need to do that. But the first time I did it, and I did it because I was going through um, Writing Master Academy, Jessica Brody's course, and she gives that advice. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to follow her advice. And I did that. And you think, wow, totally eye-opening thing for me of please do that. So, you, so then as a, as a writer, what you want to ask yourself is, do you have a story? And I know that seems really simple. You think you do. But in many cases, there is no story. And I'll give a specific example of what I mean by that. Every story has a story arc. We've researched all the different kinds of arcs and they all come down to five key points. And you have to have an inciting incident, plot point one, a middle, plot point two, and a climax. But it's more than that. To have a story, the climax scene must answer the question that's raised in the blurb. So if you're writing a murder mystery, the climax scene must solve that murder mystery in one way or another, right? If you're writing a... Um, where a, a little girl has to go to a hospital and because she's got some weird thing that there's this new medication for and you don't answer that in the climax, there's no story. And so the first thing we coach people to do is do your read through, find your five story arc scenes, and then ask yourself, are they doing what they need to do to be a story? And if the answer to that question is yes, then great then go and start doing a scene by scene edit if the answer is no don't bother with the scene by scene edit start with okay i don't actually have a plot point one so the plot point one is the point of no return in a book where the protagonist cannot walk away from their at whatever their story goal is they up until that point they have a choice and at some point in the story they must address the story goal otherwise they'd walk away because we're all human beings and we're all going to take the easy way out so they can't and that's that point in the story 
so you have to find those and write them and have them kind of generally in the right place, but they don't have to be perfect. And once you have that, you can go, yes, I actually have a story. And then you can start your scene by scene editing, which is a different, it's a different way of editing than an editor does. So I'll flip that over to Lucy. Okay, so as an editor, you have to ask your um, writer um, for their blurb. And um, so then you either ask them if they haven't got one, then you ask them to write a skeleton blurb with you. And so that's your um, protagonist must. And then otherwise, where you've got the story. Let, let me just clarify, <clears throat> because blurb to me is the marketing copy that I put on my Amazon sales page. So can you just clarify for mm-hmm. listeners what you mean by a blurb? Because I think <laughs> Indies... Indies might have a different terminology. So this is this is why I always go back to the definitions. What is your definition of a blurb? So yes. So what you put on um, the copy to sell your book on the back of the, um, that is your blurb. And that's what I'm talking about. But then um, I distill it down um, when editing for someone else and when you edit for yourself. But in that copy, what that copy is actually doing is that's promising potential readers when it's out there as a marketing piece that there is a really strong story in here and they're promising that story in that blurb. So what you do as the editor is you take that blurb and then you say, does every scene live up to that promise that has been promised to the um, reader, potential reader? So it's really important to use the blurb um, as an editor editing someone else's work to say, yes, this scene can stay inside this story because it's part of the story goal. It relates to the protagonist getting closer to or further away from the story goal. And that's why that blurb is so important for an editor to use. And it's got many uses. It's like a Swiss army knife, that blurb. But when you're an editor, you use it every single scene. And so that's why it's hugely important. Anyway, so you've got your blurb and you're looking at the um, first check for the five story arc scenes and then you check to see how far they are apart because as an editor, you'll quickly know using the dictionary, brilliant story arc map, that if they're too far apart, your instincts will tell you um, that there's going to be a lag in there. So you've got your eyes open for that. And if they're too close together, you know that it's going to be too rushed and the reader's experience won't won't be able to take in everything because there'll be no probably no sequel scenes in there to all the action it'll just be action 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 and that means the reader won't be able to connect with um, the protagonist or the point of view characters so but let's go back so you've got your story arc and you've checked out this um book story arc and then you go back and do the scene by scene edit and the scene by scene edit you're looking at the blurb and you're looking at whether or not and um the story goal is in this blurb and if it's not it's not goal related to plot so then that would be you suggest cutting that scene um if there's two locations in that scene and the scene um, word count is too big then that's another reason to cut so as an editor you start to then make artistic choices and then you suggest you never um actually do the um, recommendations you write a letter on the side saying this is what i recommend and then it has to be actionable so that the um, writer can come away and say, oh, my goodness, I know how to make this super strong. Because that's what a structural story edit should be about, making it stronger. Amazing. And you talked a lot in there about um, the story goal. And one of the things that you mention in your book is around testing the story goal. 
So I wondered if you could um, just talk about that. How how does one test a story goal? How do we know if our story goal is good enough? Christina? Oh, want me to answer? Okay, I can answer that. How do we know? So the blurb. So we bring the, the blurb down to a skeleton blurb, and it's basically the protagonist must do something otherwise. So if you look at the Hunger Games, um, Katniss must win at the Hunger Games or she and her family will die, right? So there is a, there is a definite goal there and there are consequences to that goal. So now when we're looking at a scene, so we take the opening scene of a Hunger Games where she wakes up and the first half of the scene is where she has to, she's trying to get food on the table for her family, right? So it's, it's that is setting up her world and her skill set, but it's doing it in a way that she needs to survive. And that's right in the blurb. And so you look at that and you think, okay, that's good setup. And then halfway through, it splits to now she's on the way to the reaping and nobody wants to get chosen at the reaping. However, her sister is, right? And so you look at everything in the scene and is it related to her goal, which she doesn't know at the beginning and many protagonists don't know the goal because their world hasn't been shaken up yet. They haven't even gotten to plot point two yet, but the reader knows from the blurb what it is, right? And that's a thing to remember is what the reader knows going into a book. They always know what's in the blurb because it's you read that to decide you're reading it. So the protagonist might not, Sometimes some of us just like pick a book on a cover. <laughs> In which case you just read the book and all bets are off and you're, you know, you don't know these things. But, but, but that, that's the thing though, isn't it? Because I think a lot of readers who read prolifically do go into a story understanding the innate structure of story. And so they are expecting certain things, even if they can't predict the yep. plot point itself. And so we look at every scene and at the have the blurb up to go, okay, is this scene related to the main story goal, yes or no? And the easy question there, single question is, when you read a scene as an editor, is the protagonist closer to or farther away from the story goal, one or the other? If the answer is neither, there's a problem with that scene. Why is it in the book? And that's when you question, what's the purpose of this book, of this scene? Why is it here? And that's when you start the cut scenario because you write this great scene. It's awesome. Lots of conflict. But the conflict's not related to the story. It's just in there because it's conflict. But if it doesn't take the protagonist one step closer or one step away from that main story goal, it should not be in the story, even if the protagonist is not in that scene. So let's say the antagonist has the scene. They have the point of view, the protagonist not there, but they do something that really is going to set up the protagonist for failure. That scene is taking the protagonist one step away from reaching their story goal. And so it deserves a purpose in the scene. Doesn't mean the protagonist is being the scene, but still every single scene. And that's the best way to tighten up a book. Okay. So I'm going to come to Lucy now. Like we've mentioned a lot, the most important scenes, the the sort of pivotal uh, scene beats being, I guess, the plot point one to inciting incident climax midpoint. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's the yeah, great. <laughs> I know story. Um, <laughs> but what about like because five scenes is not a book. 
So what about the scenes that are not those five pivotal scenes? You know, and the fact that we, Christina just mentioned that every scene needs to have a purpose, like it needs to be in there uh, doing something. So like, how do we, how do we make sure they're doing something? How do we, how do we know if we're supposed to delete them or get or keep them? Um, how, how, how do we recognize whether or not a scene is working that's not a pivotal, one of the five pivotal ones? Okay, so if a scene's working or not, um, so the first one is the um, character arc that Christina just said about moving you closer to or further from the um, story arc. But in um, um, the um, bestseller code, they talk about um, having that um, goal and having it. So you have a few going towards, a few coming away, and you get a heartbeat to the story. So if you um, have that heartbeat, you know that you've got a really strong story. But it's about moving the story forward. So if this, if all of a sudden they go on a divergent and it's not related to the plot and you move away from the story and it all of a sudden stops the forward momentum of the story, maybe you go into a flashback that's three um, scenes long and then the, the momentum of the story, the reader gets lost. So then you would suggest that the three in a row might not be um, a great idea and you could split them up over the course of that act and then you could have the flashbacks separated so they each individual and then they can build up in meaning and it's about finding out whether or not the reader can follow the story forward um, and then you've got um, character introduction types of scenes and then you've got setting scene um, then you've got um, setting um, scenes and you've got all sorts of different scenes to make sure that the um, the emotions in the book are built up in a correct manner. If you've got too many character introductions together in a row, then the forward momentum um, might not be correct. So in fictionary, you can pull up your story map and every purpose of the scene, you just go through on the first pass and you write down what they are. And then you come back and then you have a look at them. And if they say that um, there's too many in a row of scene setting, well, that's not moving the story forward. You need you need to move around those scenes so that you've got them separated so you can have a nice weaving mix that is suitable to the story. Yeah, I love this because this is one of the lessons that I learned with my first series. I'm still super proud of that series, but I definitely made it too complicated. I put way too much stuff in there. And I think that's the thing that I've learned um, the most and the thing that is so radically different in this new series that I'm, uh, well, one's about to be published, probably just be published this week as this goes out. Um, and that is, uh, you know, I keep saying, oh, I've simplified it. I've made it a much simpler story, but I actually don't think that's what it is. I think what I've done is keep it focused on the story goal. Like the whole story is about the story goal. And so I think saying that it's a simple or simpler story is actually a disservice to the story. I think it's doing what it's fucking meant to, which is focusing on the story goal and every single scene, every single fucking word in that book is driving towards the goal of the book or pulling the characters away, you know, so on and so forth. And um, and actually there is a lesson to be learned in in that and in in like so many authors do that with their first books because they want they they well I certainly did. I wanted to give it everything. I wanted, you know, I was trying to put my heart and soul into this story. And unfortunately my heart and soul is a very complicated place. So <laughs> I've learned that lesson. Uh, yeah, just before you go on from that, so the interesting thing, so if we look at a Game of Thrones, hugely complex book, right? And the first book, so if you look at just the first book, it, it's written from, I think, eight or nine points of view. I don't remember exactly. It's really complicated. There's all kinds of worlds 
worlds and characters and and the white walkers and right but it is so focused on the story goal and that is humans beat the white walkers it's that that is it and if they don't the human race is gone right so very very clear and right from the beginning they start with cold and hot they start with they kill off one the white walkers kill one character and then one gets away and then ned has to kill him but then he gets beheaded and later ned gets beheaded and the whole story is focused on the story goal and it all mirrors each other like it is brilliantly written if you want to study a really complex story but that is just exactly that it is focused on the story goal and everything is closer or farther away that it's i just love it for that it's not even a genre i read but clearly i've analyzed it yeah (laughs) and i love it for that point because it's a really good example of how to write a very complex story but focus on just the story goal yeah yeah definitely and you know you find a lot of that in like the more epic fantasy you still have these sweeping worlds and stacks and stacks of story but actually the art of doing it well is to keep it all focused on the one goal um okay let's talk to editors and potential editors listening um and and also talk to writers and and authors who potentially critique for each other or they beta read for each other obviously that process is about constructive feedback but i think sometimes we can all get a little bit um overwhelmed yeah we can get cranky we can find things that irritate us in fiction but actually the art of being a really good editor is to motivate a writer um and to inspire a writer whilst still highlighting where they where a writer needs to work And so I wondered if we could talk a little bit about that. So either to the writers giving beta feedback or critique feedback and to potential editors who would like to be an editor, what are some of the tools and tips and tricks and ways that they can um, give positive feedback? So the first thing that I teach certified editors is they must be kind. And it's very difficult to be kind all the time. It's a hard thing to do because to be kind to someone you have to be giving them feedback that's going to help them get better, which is often hard to do, right? So it it really comes down to thinking from a, a, a place of kindness that as an editor, you're there to help somebody else. If you're beta reading, or how you say beta reading <laughs> is, if you're beta reading, it, it's the same concept you have to go into it the frame of mind that you're there to help somebody and so everything you say to them has to come back to that are you helping them write a better story that's the question you ask as an editor as a beta reader as a critique partner um and as a as a beta reader and a critique partner it's very important to stay away from personal biases that i like reading a certain type of book and so perhaps those are the books I should beta read and not books that I'm not interested in. So I don't typically read horror books, for example. That doesn't mean it's not a great book, but I might start just kind of skimming through because it doesn't interest me as a reader. So as a beta reader or as an editor, you have to know um, what you like to read as well, that it's very important that when you're giving your feedback, you know what you're talking about and you're not just saying, "Mm, I kind of skimmed here. It must be boring. 
just because it's it's not your thing. When you're giving advice to be kind, you have to be, um, it has to be actual advice the writer can do something with. And, and I've used this example before, but my when I had my agent in the first read through from them, her reader came back and said, you need to make your protagonist more likable. That was it. You're like, yep, I like her. So I had no idea what to do with that. It totally flustered me as a writer. You think, well, well, but, but what do I do with that? And so she was being specific that she didn't like my protagonist, but not actionable. And so then that's a little unkind, like it's kind of sloppy in a way of, well, now what do I do with that? I had no idea. So we try and coach, you can't just say what's wrong. You have to give action. And then the kindness comes out of that. And you know, you would never say, well, that's just lousy. It doesn't help anybody. But if it is lousy, you need to find why, why is it not working? Right. And answer that question. Did that answer that? I don't even know if I answered that question. Yeah, I think it did. And I think the other thing that I used to do, um, and now knowing my Clifton strengths, I uh know exactly why I used to do this, but um I always used to to as well as providing feedback on what an author needed to work on I used to like to highlight what they did best and so I would highlight their skill or their likes the quality that made their writing sparkle against somebody else's but I only know that everybody drink because of Clifton Strengths um but yeah that's another thing that I used to, used to love doing okay and, um, every writer has a strength exactly no strengths exactly Okay, I'm going to ask Lucy the last question and then I'm going to ask you both the ultimate podcast question. So my five, my favorite, my favorite, my favorite line in your book was conflict increases tension only if it creates uncertainty about the character reaching their goal and only if it's related to the story. Now, I love conflict. I love tension, but I have never read that sentence before and it blew my fucking tiny little mind so I loved it loved it loved it Uh, and I wondered if you can give an example of what you mean um and how writers can make sure that their conflict is as developed as possible yeah so um, that blurb that when we talk about all the time you bring that out and then you go to a section with conflict in it and you um read the story goal so you've got that um, right in your mind and then you read the um the scene with all the conflict in it and you ask yourself is this related and it doesn't have to be always um just in your face there can be an oblique reference it can be you know an analogy it can be all sorts of things but there has to be a connection because otherwise it's just gratuitous and it's indulgent and that's what, as an editor, we um, when we write our first drafts, we're always writing for our perfect reader. But when we're editing, we're editing for our um, least attentive reader. And so we've got to make sure that our least attentive reader can get all of the information out. And so you've got to um, cut filler so that, that then when you're confident that you're cutting it for a reason or um, or advising it for it to be cut for a reason, you can do it and, and you know it'll make your story stronger because the least intentive um, readers are also going to want to read your books. So I'm going to add an example in there. We're going to go back to the Hunger Games on the first scene. And and, and I like to use first scenes because people can just read it for free on, on you know Amazon or wherever. Um, in the Hunger Games, right in the middle, when the scene switches from first half to second half, 
um, Katniss and, and Gail are, are off to the reaping and they meet the mayor's daughter, whose name I forget at the point, Mag, this point. Max, Mac does something like that. Something. And, but there's conflict there. And the conflict is she's got this pretty dress on and she's, she comes from a wealthy family and he's angry because he has to put his name in more times. So they get these tickets or whatever it is. I'm being a bit vague here, but to, to, um, feed their family. So if you need more food for your family, then you put your name in again for the reaping and you have a much higher chance of being chosen. And so there's a, a situation there where there's conflict between the two and it totally works because it's it's related to the story goal, right? Now, let's say, for example, they meet up, they meet with the mayor's daughter and the conflict is in grade school she did something to offend him or she bullied him or she stole his book or you think so what it's not related to the story where every piece of conflict in the hunger games is totally related to the story right starting in scene one and so if you can visualize that scene and look at okay those three people standing there and that little it's not a big conflict it's little but it's there it gives you a whole bunch of background information of who they are walking into the reaping who's got the scene it also blows your mind at the end because we all know prim only has one ticket in and she gets chosen so this whole thing about more tickets in right so the twist at the end of the scene comes through from that conflict because you don't anticipate that because for sure you think it's going to be gail's going to get chosen and because they've got the most tickets in and, and, and that, right? So it's a beautiful example of conflict related to the goal of the story versus it could have just been some other conflict. So there's conflict in the scene. Yeah, I love that. In one of my books, and I I think it's 10 Steps to Hero, I can't quite remember. But anyway, in one of my books, I talk about the web of connectivity. And I just, like every single book is a spider's web. And um well, not a spider's web per se, but a web, right? And every single character, every single element, every every single subplot, every single sentence is connected to everything else. And when you do that and do it well and do it effectively, and every every one of those elements affects or influences every other element, that is when you create a banging story as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, I loved that so much. It literally, I was like, oh, that's the fucking gold line right there. That is that is the line for me. Um, okay, so this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So I want you both to tell me about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. You go first, Lucy. Um, I like to wear Doc Martens and pearls, other clothes as well. But when I go to weddings, um, I'll wear a very long skirt and try and look very sophisticated. But underneath, I'll be wearing Doc Martens because they're comfortable and that comes first. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, my, one of my wife's friends did an Iron Man competition the day before her wedding. And she wore the Victor Iron Man trainers on, like as her wedding shoes. And I was like, do you know what? If I did a fucking Iron Man the day before my wedding, I think I'd be wearing the trainers too, because that is an incredible feat, let alone doing it the day before your wedding. I can't walk. That's so funny. So by the time this podcast comes out, I will have passed my 35th engagement anniversary. (gasps) I know. Is that not ridiculous? Yes. So I'm going to tell you my inner, this is my inner, inner, inner rebel story. I 
I had a party, one of these great big parties. You know, you have a hundred people at your house, blah, blah. I was very young. And uh, my my now husband showed up. And the next morning I woke up and thought, oh, he's it. I fell love at first sight, done. So I called him and I asked him out on a date. And he said, no, because he had a girlfriend. And then a couple of days later, he said, oh, I don't have a girlfriend anymore. Can we go out? And I said, ah, I have plans, but I would love to see you. So we managed to split, make an hour drink in there. And then I went skiing the next day. And then the next night we talked on the phone for about three hours. And the next day we went for lunch. And Matthew proposed and I said, yes. So we hadn't really been on a real date yet or anything. Like I just knew this was it. It was completely over. And we got so much grief from friends. There was a huge bet at work that, you know, who, you know, what day they were going to break up before they got married and stuff. And we got married five months later. And here we are today. Holy it was one time moly. in my life I went against everybody saying, are you insane? What are you doing? You don't even know him. Like, I cannot explain it. It is love at first sight and I am done. And there is no other way for me in this world, but with him. And clearly he felt the same way. And that was that. And there is my oh, inner rebel. That is such an amazing, I love the fact that that was a love story as well. Like that is a huge <laughs> my love story. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And I still look at him every day. Absolutely amazed that you think, wow, you married me. What is that about? But okay oh <laughs> i love it so much oh like you can always get me to swoon with a romance story <laughs> well and i think when this comes out it, it'll be like february 12th or th no something like that it, so very close to valentine's day so you know yeah yeah oh absolutely incredible well would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about your book and also your services and dictionary in general it's secrets to editing success by christina stanley and lucy cook and um we'll give you the um details to put it into the um, show notes excellent and where can everybody find out more about fictionary software and also the coaching program yeah so here's the thing i would love it if people came and joined our community so it is for all writers and all editors whether you're a subscriber to fictionary software or not and we're doing a ton of training in there we've got editors who are answering questions for writers and it's at i'm gonna have to give you the link for that it's at good dictionary.circle.so Fictionary.circle.so. That is where we want people to go. We have um, fictionary.co is our website, and you can find out all about our um, software products and our blogs that are there. But it's so exciting for us to have writers and editors together in this community. And I want to stress it's a safe place, it's a community um, of kindness. It's based on that. Even our events, we don't record them so that people can ask specific questions about their work, knowing that it's not going to be shown anywhere. And so we have editors answering questions about people's books in there. And so I really want people to come and join our community. Oh, I love that so much. Well, I can't believe we've come to the end of the episode, but thank you so much for your time today. And everybody does need to go and buy your book and learn all about how to do a proper, effective uh, edit on their work. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, as well as 
a ton of bonus content than you can by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Christina Stanley and Lucy Cook. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, you are going to have a special episode. In fact, I'm, I'm very much hoping that it's going to be two, but I can't make that promise until I get the lessons learned episode done. But you're definitely going to have a bonus uh, episode at some point soon. And next week, it will be me being interviewed all about the uh, Ruby Row pen name and the book A Game of Hearts and Ice. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.